Good morning, everyone. At the end of the service this morning, we will be sharing in communion. So would you please take a moment right now to head to your kitchen and find something that works for the bread and then for the drink. And then bring that back with you. And Pastor Brian will be with you shortly. Well, good morning, Grandview. We're glad to see you again another Sunday. A mother could hear the alarm clock go off and the subsequent snooze alarm being reset time and time again. She finally traveled down the hall to wake up her son. Son, it's time to get up and go to church. He pulled the covers up even further. I don't want to go this morning. They look at me funny. I'm misunderstood. They talk behind my back. I don't even think they like me. Mom said there's two reasons you have to go this morning. Number one, you're 41 years old. And secondly, you're the pastor of the church. They're counting on you. What a disconnect between his calling and his conduct. So let me ask you this morning, how is your walk? How is your lifestyle for Jesus Christ? Does your talk match your walk? Do you believe one thing and do another? See, words are cheap. One person said, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking so loud, I can't hear your words. The rest of the letter to the Ephesian church will continue to challenge their actions and our actions based upon what God has already done, what he's already provided for you. So you better strap on your seatbelt because we're going to be looking at things in the weeks to come where it's going to be looking at how we live the Christian life. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Paul writing, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That ends the reading. Now, what's the background of the passage? In chapter 4, verse 1, there is a major break, or as Howard Hendricks would say, a major hinge in the book. In, in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, 
Paul is calling on the believers to remind them of the position they have, which grace has provided for them. That grace that lifts them up. He gives us doctrinal truths. He talks about our new wealth at God's expense. And as we now focus starting in chapter 4, we're going to see the practical outworking of that doctrine in our lives. Now your tendency as we go through this and in weeks to come, as you hear God's truth, you're going to be thinking about the other people in your life that need to hear this message. Fight that with everything you know. Would you allow the Spirit of God to bring it into your life, into your experience, into your reality, and let the focus stay on you and your application of truth? As you saw there in chapter 4, verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This word walk is repeated seven times in the book of Ephesians. And Paul equates the Christian life to a walk because it starts with an initial step of faith. It involves progress. It involves balance and strength and forward movement. And this idea of walk pictures our life's daily activities and the progress we are to make. So the question becomes, what is a worthy walk? That's what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What is a worthy walk? It's a walk where our lifestyle reflects our position in Christ, our new position in Christ. It involves the indwelling Holy Spirit that empowers us to live holy lives before God. It ref our lives should reflect who we are in Christ. And God has freed us as slaves to sin, empowered us by his Holy Spirit, and enabled us to live as his children, as his holy children, as sons and daughters of the king. And yet many of us choose to slip back into our former ways of life. And we, by our own lifestyle, deny the Lord in our lives. This idea of worthy has the idea of equal weight. And what Paul is saying is our calling and our conduct should be in balance. There should be a consistency with our Christian dignified position in the heavenlies with how I live today. He says to them, I urge you. Now, now notice Paul, he could have commanded them. He could have told them, do it. But he doesn't give them a, can, a, a command or a direct command or a, he's just tender. He's gentle. He appeals them in the language 
of grace. And yet he says, please have passionate, passionate urgency to live with a walk that is worthy of the position we have in Christ. Now, if you haven't figured it out by now, my wife didn't dress me this morning. I feel very uncomfortable because of my position as your pastor. I should be dressed appropriately. And you can see how my dress does not match my position. And, and some of you are, are struggling with that. And yet how much is the Lord at times struggling with us? With all that he's given us and, and gifted us with. And we chose to go back to our former lifestyles of sin and neglecting God. And people look at our lifestyle and say, I thought he was a child of the king and she was a princess of God. And they don't see it. Why is unity so critical? Two reasons. One, Unity is so important so that we can fully enjoy the richness of relationships that we have now in the body of Christ. And as we enjoy that unity, this will result in mutual ministry from one to another. But that's only because of unity. That's the only reason we can work together. But I think the second reason is even more telling. The world is watching us. Our disunity fuels their doubts that Jesus is real. Let me say that again. Our disunity fuels their doubts that Jesus is real. Jot down in your notes, John 17, verse 21. See, our unity amidst all the diversity in our bodies demonstrates the power of God and shows that Jesus was sent by God. Our unity is a witness to a watching world. And we may not think they are watching, but they are. Now, what is the character that affects Christian unity. And it's found right there in the text, starting in verse 2. The following virtues contribute to the unity in each local church. So the first is humility. But notice in the text it says, with all humility. What Paul is saying, you need to have complete humility, complete humbleness, and this is an attitude. It's a lowliness of mind as described in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 of Jesus Christ himself. It is a proper assessment of myself in God's program. And yet both the Greek and the Roman cultures thought this was a weakness, that humility had no place in the world and and that's much like today, is it not? Humble people seem to be avoided, made fun of. The second virtue 
is gentleness. Another translation would call it meekness. Power under control. This is an action derived from our humility. See, gentle people accept God's dealing with them without arguing or resisting. A gentle person is one whose emotions are under control. And this is interesting because often this is the virtue of a strong one who could exert power and force into a situation to get their own way, but they choose not to. So we have humility, we have gentleness. Also in the text is the word patience. Oh, we don't like that word, do we? It's this never give up kind of spirit. Even in times of adversity. It's this self-restraint that does not hastily retaliate when they are wronged. One author called it endurance under affliction. Listen to what Swindoll says. The step of patience is the most difficult because it comes to us in the hardest way. It means exercising humility and gentleness in the company of disappointing, frustrating, and downright offensive people. It means sticking to something when everything within you and outside of you is pushing you to give in. Patience takes time to nurture, especially in our impatient world. We pace the room if the microwave takes 30 seconds. We zip through traffic if one lane is moving through slowly. We stare at our watches if the worship service runs three to four minutes late. Yet patience is essential if the church is to arrive at true unity. It allows us to learn at different paces, to make mistakes, and to hunker down for the lengthy, arduous process of steady spiritual growth. Patience. It's even disposition under prolonged provocation. I remember looking at an older large dog and a brand new puppy. The old dog has his place there in the house, his favorite spot, and here's this little whippersnapper pup coming to him, and he's barking and he's nipping at him, and the old dog could just take one paw and wipe him off the face of the earth, but the big old dog just puts up with it. This little one will grow out of this phase, he thinks, and, and he will become a good friend of mine, and so I have to not take care of him sooner than later. Patience helps us endure all kinds of circumstances. The fourth virtue that is found there is tolerance. Putting up with each other every day. Tolerance makes allowances for people's faults, for their failures, for differing personalities, for abilities and temperaments. Tolerant people reach out with forgiveness, understanding, and sympathy. 
They treat others with grace. Tolerance helps us endure all kinds of people. And some of you right now, as you're watching this, are, are developing a slight attitude because as you look at the slide, you realized that the word tolerance is misspelled. And why didn't pastor use spell check on this baby? Well, I was just testing your tolerance this morning because the final character is love. Positive, positive love to those who irritate, disturb, or embarrass. It's unconditional love that expects nothing in return. It's a love that enjoys relating to others because love truly focuses on the other person. It, it values them. Love is an act of the will. It is more than just an emotion. And this love, I have learned and I have seen in the scriptures, this love always costs dearly. But this is what God is calling us to within the body, to practice humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance and love. And the question for you is, how are you doing? Look at the checklist. All of us have room to grow in one or more of these areas. And if we don't, it will affect the unity within our own body. He then goes on the passage, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The charge to maintain Christian unity. We must work diligently to maintain this unity. Notice, we don't make unity. We don't create unity. That's God's job. But our job is to guard and keep it fresh. In essence, when I looked at the passage, we're, we're maintenance men, maintenance women. We don't build things. We just make sure that it keeps on running. God has built unity. We are to maintain it with the virtues that we have just looked at. Unity is much like a fire. If you start a fire and get it going, but you don't do anything to it, soon it will begin to die out. It must be tended and maintained and stoked here and there and logs moved around. So like unity within the local church. Otherwise, if we don't maintain it, a prideful ego, a severe demeanor, an irritable spirit, a judgmental heart, and a hateful attitude will begin to prevail within the walls of the local body. Our job is to maintain what God has already done. There are seven elements of unity that we need to see in verses 4 through 6. Starting at verse 4, I want you to notice as I read these, verse 4 is the Holy Spirit, verse 5 is the Son of God, and verse 6 is God the Father. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul spells out the elements of unity that our relational unity is based upon. God has brought to the table all these truths so that we can live them out. So in the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 4, these are some of the ministries he performs that are all unifying to the body. The first one, one body. That's the body of Christ. That's the mystery we talked about earlier in this book that was revealed by Jesus and the writers of the New Testament. And understand, the body is not just a collection of parts, but this body is a living organism. It is coordinated. Secondly, the Holy Spirit himself. He indwells the church. He indwells each one of us to accomplish the things that he wishes to. Also one hope, a common hope, our future with God, and embraces all the promises that God has offered to us. It becomes for us a unifying hope. In verse 5, it highlights the Son of God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, the Christ, the head of the church. The Lord does not give contradictory commands to different aspects of the body. He is the one head, the one authoritative leader. He is our Lord. And he unifies his body into one organism. One faith. That's faith in Christ. There's no other. One baptism. Now this is a controversial Statement, one baptism. Is Paul talking about water baptism or is it talking about spirit baptism? And I have seen and read good points on either side of the argument. But one author finally said, to those who believe that ritual baptism or water baptism is but an outworking of real baptism, that's spirit baptism, there is no difficulty created by this emphasis on one baptism. And finally, to kind of cap it off, we have one God and Father who's in all and through all. He unifies everything. And so as I look at these seven elements I remember that when one of these, when we want to begin to break unity within our church, remember these one, these seven ones when we're tempted to trample unity among us. What does this mean for us? Three things. In Ephesians chapters one through three, Paul marvelously lists many privileges that God has freely given us by his grace. He is now beginning to recount that responsibilities come along with those privileges. 
and we must accept the challenge of living like a person who has become one in Christ. We have a choice how we're going to live and how our lives are going to reflect life in Christ through our particular lifestyle. As you look at your own life, not someone else's, your own, do you see a lifestyle that is disheveled, that is not quite put together? And it's not because God the Spirit has not poured into your life the resources necessary, but you choose to live a different way. You failed. Can I suggest graciously that you would repent, that you would tell God, I need you to change me from the inside out. I need to be more reflective of all that you're doing in Christ in my life and let him do a work of grace within you. Secondly, one author said, there, there's enough flesh in every one of us to wreak havoc on any local church or any other work of God. Therefore, we must submerge our own petty, personal whims and attitudes and work together in peace and unity for the glory of God and for common blessing. So many of you need to go to a brother or sister in Christ and ask for forgiveness for the things that you have done to not build unity within the local body. And I'm going to challenge you today as you process this, as you look back at this passage, that maybe you need to get on the phone today or to pull out a piece of paper and write a note and confess that you have done something to disrupt the unity of the body. Make it right. Ask God to bless that call or that letter for them. Thirdly, people are watching your life. They can see Christ in you by the unity they see in you living in the midst of difficult situations, especially in close proximity to others in Christ. Would you ask the Holy Spirit today to cultivate unity in you by all that you say and do in the local church, that all that you say and do there in the community, that all that you say and do on behalf of Christ, because people are watching you, People are looking to see, is Christ real to this person that I'm looking at? And our unity with others who are different from us speak of the reality of Christ. Why do I need to apply this? Because as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this day, we come together to celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that in unity. Secondly, we also come together at this time of communion to celebrate our unity in the body of Christ. We are one. And matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, 
it's interesting that he uses that same word of being worthy. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That same word again. Is there a balance between what we believe and how we live? We're all growing. We're all changing. We're all maturing over time. We all fail at times. But is there constant progressive growth in our lives? Paul chastises the Corinthian church for their lack of unity. He says in verse 18, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He takes them to task. He wants them to be worthy. So if you would, take the elements there in front of you. Let me read the words that I read every time we have communion. For I receive from the Lord, but I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for unity. Thank you, that is a gift of your grace to a group of people that are so different. We have but one thing in common, and that's new life in Christ. So Father, even today, continue to build our unity even though we're apart. Continue to us, uh, increase our strength that our lifestyle would reflect who we are in Christ. And Father, for some here this morning, may they trust you in fresh ways to make the changes necessary to reflect your grace in their lives. Thank you, Father, for all that you're going to accomplish in each of our lives and bring us together soon. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.